You've got mail. Find out anything from the computer? Nothing useful. Logic and practical information do not seem to apply here. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I'm talking about technology and inventions. We've talked about technology, we've talked about inventions before, and in the past I've marveled at how things have changed in our lives. We've gone from party lines and landlines to cell phones in our pockets. We've gone from those big cathode ray tubes to the flat screen TVs we love. We've gone from a 25-inch little console TV being the biggest TV in the house to TVs that are 55, 65, 75 inches across and more. And that's standard for a lot of people. So there have been some great advances in technology in my life, and I love to talk about them. But today we're talking about some of the weird things that have happened in my life as far as odd little inventions are concerned, and also some of the adverse effects of technology in general. Now don't worry, don't worry. This isn't going to be, old gamer dude, get off my lawns you kids. It's not that kind of rant show, it's just some observations I've made. I have a slightly different lens because I'm an old dude, so I look at things a little differently. Yes, I do look at things as, back in my day... But that's not necessarily a bad thing, it's just a thing. So I'm going to share some of those observations with you today as well. But when I talk about the weird things that I've seen in my life, things that I never thought would be important or big or significant, I'm talking about things like the pet rock. I've mentioned the pet rock in the past. Some dude back in the 70s came up with a pet rock, threw it in a box with some nesting material, and created a phenomenon. And people bought up pet rocks like they were going out of style. Now, did you know that somebody took the pet rock and applied technology to it, and now you can get a USB pet rock? Yes, it's true. You can look it up. What the hell is wrong with people? Well, this pet rock from my driveway is no good, but if I hook it up with a USB cable to my computer, it's so much more cool. I mean, what the hell is wrong with people? But that's what I mean about odd little inventions, strange little inventions, things that people come up with. Do you remember the DVD rewinder? Yeah, somebody came up with a DVD rewinder back in the 90s, early 2000s, somewhere in there. Now, you have to remember, before DVDs, there was the VHS cassette, and there was all those video rental stores, and people would rent videos, they'd get a cassette, take it home, watch it, and then not rewind it, which is a pain in the butt for the people who rent it next, because they would have to rewind it. So one of the things that the video stores always put on their tapes, it was a little sticker that said, Be Kind, Rewind. They'd have that sign on the way out of the store. They'd have stickers on the tape, stickers on the tape box. There was a whole market that developed for VHS rewinders because one of the theories was that if you rewound too much on your VHS player, you could break the mechanism. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how they sold VHS rewinders. And yes, I had one. My parents had one. People would spend the 10, 12, 15 bucks to get a VHS rewinder. Well, somebody had the great idea. Okay, it's a stupid idea except for the fact that it made the dude millions. He created the DVD Rewinder. Because after they stopped renting VHS tapes, the rental stores would rent DVDs. And people were so used to having to rewind their VHS tapes, somebody figured, well, if I can get them to believe they need to rewind their DVD, I could make a mint. And he did. Because what happens when you put a DVD in a DVD Rewinder? It spins. And that's it. And he sold a bunch of them. What about Big Mouth Billy Bass? 
Do you remember that stupid singing fish that would hang on your wall? It was an artificial fish mounted on a plaque that had a motion detector underneath the fish. And if you walked past the fish, the head would lift itself off the plaque and start singing. I know it sounds stupid, but people bought them like they were going out of style. They were on TV. They were in all the stores. Walmart, Jamesway, Kohl's. Everybody had Big Mouth Billy Bass, and everybody had to have one. And they sold millions of them. So they combined great technology motion detector with the ability to play a pre-recorded fish singing a song. Now that's great use of technology right there. Do you remember the Snuggies? It's a blanket with sleeves. Why do I need a blanket with sleeves? I just put a blanket on my lap and wrap it around me. I never understood the Snuggie. But boy, oh boy, everybody had to have one. They had Snuggies that were designed with every pattern, every color. It's a blanket with sleeves. I think I've mentioned this one too. Now this is an older tech. And when I say older, I mean 1970s, 1980s. The Floby. The Floby was a hair cutting clipper mounted inside a vacuum cleaner hose. That's it. That's what it was. So you would turn the hair cutting clipper on, you would clip the hair, and when you turned it on, the vacuum would also start to operate. The point being, as you cut the hair, the Floby would vacuum up all of the loose hair. So there'd be no loose hair. The Floby was advertised on TV all of the time when I was growing up. I thought at the time, and I was just a kid, what a dumb idea. First of all, how can you see how you're cutting because the big nozzle from the Floby is in the way? But second, who wants to have a vacuum cleaner on their head? Well, apparently a lot of people did because they sold a lot of them. And, in fact, so did I. Here's my Floby story. Now, this is only a few years ago. I was going to auctions, just checking things out as I usually do. And I bought one of my dad's wonder boxes. I've told you about those wonder boxes. You bid a dollar on it, you get it for a buck. You get it home and you wonder what the hell you were thinking. Because there's nothing in it that you want. But it was only a dollar, so you bought it for a dollar. As I recall, it was like a $5 wonder box that I picked up. And in the wonder box was a Floby. All of the parts in its original packaging. A 1970s era Floby. All mine. And I looked at it and laughed because I remembered how lame I thought it was. But I also remembered that people bought them. So I listed my Floby on eBay. And wouldn't you know, people bid the crap out of that thing? As I remember, I sold it for something like $25 or $30. I don't remember off the top of my head. But there was a bidding war for my Floby. Because people are crazy. Vacuum cleaner plus haircutting equipment? Home run! But weird little inventions don't have to use technology to be weird or popular. Do you remember the egg cuber? For a brief period of time, the egg cuber was a big thing, and God knows I have no idea why. The egg cuber was a little kitchen appliance. It's not even an appliance. You don't plug it in. It's a little kitchen tool where you would take a hard-boiled egg, peel it, put it in the egg cuber, and then squeeze the top down, and it would change your oval hard-boiled egg into a cube. Because nothing says delicious like a cubed hard-boiled egg. To this day, I don't know what the point of the egg cuber was, but they sold a lot of them. The egg cuber was big. All it took was a guy coming up with the idea, let's make a little box that squeezes hard-boiled eggs. Now, one of the biggest technological inventions of my life was the internet. I guess that's the way to put it. The internet was an invention, and it is. But the way the internet has developed and the way things that relate to the internet has developed, has really had the most far-reaching consequences in the daily life of everybody, of any invention that I've seen. It's changed the way we do things. 
I mean, the Floby, Big Mouth Billy Bass, the DVD Rewinder, those are cool little things, or dopey little things, however you look at it. But they didn't have that sea change effect on people's lives the way the internet has in my lifetime. Now, I'm just going to give you the development of the internet from my perspective. Everybody's had different experiences, and anybody who's been around for a long time has seen a lot more change than people in the past five or ten years. But I remember back in the early days of going online, now this is before there was Wi-Fi signals. This is before you got internet through your cable company. This is back when you would access the internet via phone lines. Now, if you've never done it, if you've never seen it, you can watch an old movie, War Games Springs to Mind. You would have to have a jack for your phone, and you'd have to pick up your phone and put it in the jack. The jack would fit the phone, and this is an old-style dial phone. You would put the handset into the jack, and then dial the number of your online provider. And when I say online provider, that's an important distinction. Because in the early days of the internet, you didn't just go on the internet. There were ways to just go on the internet. But there were companies out there that were dividing up your access to the internet into compartmentalized little rooms, for lack of a better term. And I'm referring to AOL, America Online. America Online was one of the early online providers. But AOL carved out its own little area of the internet. On AOL in the early days, you didn't really have access to everything that was available on the internet. You were confined to AOL World. They had lots of services, but you did have limited access to everything that was on the internet because AOL wanted you to use their service. And AOL was as big as, if not bigger than, Facebook at the time. You couldn't open up a computer magazine without an AOL disk dropping out of it. You would get mailers in your mail every day with AOL disks in it. And what the AOL disk did was give you access to the internet using a dial-up connection, and you would enter AOL World. Now, they would tease you into the internet by giving you 10 free hours or 50 free hours or however many free hours they were giving you that particular promotion. And you would get an ID you would get a password, and you could access AOL. And you'd get that dial-up connection sound. You'd get into AOL, and you'd have access to it. Now, you have to remember dial-up connections were super slow. You couldn't stream anything. You could look at pictures. You could read websites. You could do research. But AOL boxed you in, and they made a lot of money with their subscription service because they had carved out this little area of their own and they got millions of people to subscribe to AOL and access the AOL area of the internet. AOL acted as a huge gateway for a large part of the country to first experience what being online was about. Now that access to the internet is so much easier and you can access it any number of ways, you don't need a company like AOL being a gatekeeper and limiting your access to everything when you can access everything. But AOL was huge. I mean, AOL at one point became part of AOL Time Warner. Time Warner, Time Magazine, Warner Brothers, it was a huge company. And then the AOL part started kind of dying. But when it was AOL Time Warner for a brief period of time, that was a huge conglomerate back in the early 2000s. Now, obviously, things have changed a lot since then. We joke about it in the stream. There was a thing called MySpace for a while, which was a social platform much like Facebook. And MySpace was big but not nearly as big as Facebook became. I don't dwell on Facebook. I don't like Facebook. I've talked about it in the past. I'm not going to waste time this episode talking about Facebook because I hate Facebook and I hate Zuckerberg. But Facebook has changed the way the world is for a lot of people. Twitter, same thing. YouTube, same thing. Instagram, same thing. 
All of these giant social media companies have changed the way we live in the world and how we react to the world and how we interact with people and how we interact with our family. This broad access to the internet has drastically changed the way we live. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but there are bad things that have come from it, in my opinion. Now, as I said at the beginning, I don't want this to be a rant, get off my lawn, you kids, type of episode, but I have a feeling this may sound a little ranty, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time if I sound a little ranty, if I sound like the old dude criticizing the new stuff, because that's not my intent. I'm an old dude, yes, but I love the new stuff. Look at me, I'm podcasting, I'm a Twitch streamer, I have a presence on Twitter and Instagram, and I love having those presences. We have our Discord family. We have a great internet community that we've developed thanks to the Gamer Dude stream, and I love it. But that doesn't mean that I don't see the problems that we have as a result of technology. Well, let me rephrase that. That doesn't mean we don't have what I perceive to be problems as a result of technology. And I'm going to mention a few of them just to give you something to think about. One of the things that's become increasingly apparent to me over the years is that fewer and fewer people have conversations in real time anymore. I mean, Mrs. GamerDude and I will sit down, we chat all of the time. We're sitting on the deck, we're sitting in the living room, we talk about life. We talk about our work day, we talk about the kids, we talk about whatever's going on. But these days, if it's not somebody living in your house with you, you tend to communicate through text message, DMs on Twitter, DMs on Twitch, messages on Instagram, Facebook posts. You don't have a conversation. You don't talk to somebody. You don't get to read their body language. You don't get to see if what you're saying is upsetting to them or making them happy or making them mad. You're texting. You're typing words. And one of the things that's lost in that kind of communication is nuance. You don't pick up sarcasm, for example. You don't pick up sadness or joy. Sure, you can emphasize it with an emoji, but that's not the same thing. Picking up social cues in a conversation is an important skill in dealing with people. And that's something that's being lost. And here's another thing about real-life conversation. How many real-life conversations do you have that are interrupted by your phone going off? Now, for me, if I'm in a conversation, I concentrate on the conversation. To me, that's just polite. But how many people stop a conversation? Oh, I have to check my phone. Oh, let me get that. Oh, I have to see where that text is coming from. Oh, did somebody react to my Instagram photo? It's like our conversations with real people are now secondary to what's happening in our internet world. And I think that's kind of sad. It's also kind of sad that a lot of our communication with family members, with employers, with colleagues, is by text. I mean, how many news stories have you seen about somebody getting fired by text? How many times have you had an announcement, Ellen is getting married, by text or by Facebook post? When I was a kid, yes, this is a back-in-my-day moment. Back-in-my-day? If somebody was getting married, if somebody got a promotion, if somebody died, you'd have a conversation. You didn't even want to talk about that on the phone. You would want to give that kind of news in person, face-to-face, so you could be there for the person, either to celebrate if it was a good thing or console them if it was a bad thing. When all of our communications are by text or by post, it takes the humanity out of us. We're no longer people. We are just an entity on the other side of a DM or just one of many reading a post on Facebook. And by losing this communication channel, by not having those face-to-face conversations, by not having the sit-downs after a long night of drinking, or a long night of partying, or a long afternoon of fishing, or golfing, or whatever. You don't really get to know the person as well. If you're reading a post, well, I had a great time with the guys hanging out at Clancy's bar. That's a different kind of feeling than if you sit down with Tom and say, 
So, what happened with you guys at Clancy's the other night? And having a conversation about it. You get to hear the stories. You get to see how Tom is reacting to what Tony said while we were at Clancy's getting drunk. You don't get to know Tom or Tony or Bob the same way if you're not having conversations with them. You don't really get to know what kind of guys they are. You don't get the feeling of what kind of person they are. I mean, for me, I can size people up within about five minutes or less. I get to see how they react to people. I get to see how they present themselves. I can detect from their tone of voice what kind of person they are. But that comes from years of communicating in social situations. When all I've got from Bob is a series of text messages and Facebook posts, when all I get to see from Bob is his Twitter feed, when all I get to understand about Bob and the kind of food that he likes is the pictures that he posts on his Instagram, I'm really not getting to know Bob. I mean, I'm getting to know that Bob likes to share a lot of stuff. And some of the stuff that Bob likes to share, maybe I don't want to hear about. Which is another downside of being always connected on the internet. We get to learn a lot more about people than maybe we should. But none of this stuff is as important as those social interactions. I mean, if Bob is posting his Rutz Hut lunch every Thursday, we know Bob likes hot dogs and Bob doesn't care for his health. Oh, Bob's going to die from those fried hot dogs. Poor Bob. And if Bob posts nothing but golf pictures and fishing photos, we know he likes to golf and fish. But we don't get a feeling of what kind of guy Bob really is. And if Bob starts posting conspiracy theories or spouting off stuff that's very disturbing to us for whatever reason, we don't get a chance to talk to Bob about it. And conversely, Bob doesn't want to talk to us about it. He just wants to post the stuff. He just wants to say what he wants to say. He doesn't want to be questioned about it. He doesn't want to discuss it. Because when you post stuff on the internet, so many people just want to stand by it as gospel. They don't want to engage in a conversation. They don't want to discuss it. They just want to rely on what they posted. That's my position. So you don't get to really know people. You see their likes and their dislikes. You see some of their crazy. And you can size them up to a point. But you don't really get to know them. I mean, how many people say, I have a thousand friends on Facebook? <laughs> no, you don't. That's not what a friend is. A friend is someone who will come and bail you out of jail at 2 in the morning. How many of those thousand people are going to come bail you out of jail at 2 in the morning? I'm guessing none of them. Now, here's another downside to all of the stuff that we do online these days. Well, let me rephrase that. The downside to what a lot of people do online these days. I try to limit myself online. I share what I want to share. And I'm very careful to curate everything. Because I'm a private person. I don't want everybody knowing my business. If I go to Rutz Hut every Thursday, I don't want people to know that. If I've gone to Rudd's Hut once in my life, I don't mind sharing that information. But I don't want people to know that, necessarily. Some might, like the people I go to Rudd's Hut with. But the thing about posting everything online is not only do all of your friends and acquaintances and your colleagues and anybody who's ever looked up your name on Facebook or on Twitter, not only do all of them know, but your family knows. Because how many of you don't have family members following you or who are friends with you who track your every moment, your every word, your every comment. I mean, there was a whole lot of stuff that I didn't want my parents knowing about my life all throughout my life. And thank God I didn't have social media back at the time because I would have had a lot of uncomfortable conversations with my parents. Oh, what were you doing at the Limelight Club at three in the morning? <laughs> well, Dad, it's a long story, but it does involve beer and a limousine. You don't always want to have those conversations with your parents. Some things are best left private. But now, your parents know everything, your brother and sister know everything, Aunt Ellen knows that you hate her cookies because they taste like rubber, Grandma Elizabeth knows that you hate her turkey because it's always overdone, 
Cousin Carly knows you don't want to go fishing with her because she smells all of the time. I mean, there's no secrets anymore. You spout it off on the internet instead. And is that a good thing? People like to say, I'm just being honest. There's such a thing as being polite and respectful. You don't have to say everything that comes into your head. And you don't have to offend your family members in public just because you want to. It accomplishes nothing and creates a whole lot of problems. And there's one more aspect about everything being on the internet and living our lives in these little moments that we post on our timeline or on our Instagram or that we tweet about. I really think it's shortened our attention span. I really do. And I take this from the way storytelling has changed over the years. I've talked about this many times when I talk about movies. The movies in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, a lot of those movies were really slow-paced by today's standards. At the time, they were fascinating. I remember watching North by Northwest, one of my favorite movies. It's a great suspense, mistaken identity, thriller-type movie by Hitchcock. I loved watching that as a kid, but it's a two-hour movie, and it doesn't move. There's a couple of moments in it that are really exciting. The crop duster scene, the scene on Mount Rushmore, but they don't move along. There's no Fast and Furious moments in North by Northwest. But I think that the reason the storytelling has changed is because our attention spans have changed. Everything in movies is in 10-second, 15-second little blips. You get an image of one person, cut scene to the next person, cut scene back to the vehicle they're driving, cut scene back to the first person. Each of those cuts is two, three, maybe four seconds. You don't get anything like an establishing shot where you see the car going down the highway. You don't get the zoom in on the people in the front seat. You cut between faces. You cut to screeching tires. Everything's got to be moving all of the time. And on top of that, not only do we have to have action and things happening and the plot moving along, but we need a pause button because we don't watch the movies all the way through anymore. Just like in a conversation, how many times are movies interrupted by a phone going off? Got to check my Twitter feed. Got to check my Instagram. Who's checked out my TikToks? We don't pay attention to the movie. We don't sit through two hours of movie anymore. We'll sit there. But are you checking your phone? Are you posting, hey, I'm in the movie theater. It's great. Or this is the most boring movie I've ever seen. And I blame, in part, the internet for this. Because everything is fed to us in 10-second sound bites or two-second headlines. We read the clickbait headline. We watch the one-minute trailer for a movie. And then we move on to the next thing. We don't pay attention like we used to. That's true for movies, that's true for TV shows, that's true for conversations, that's true for life. We don't pay attention to things like we used to. As I said at the beginning, I'm not saying this is a diatribe against technology. I'm not saying this is a diatribe against the internet. I'm not saying I'm ranting against everything that's new and good about the world these days. I'm just saying there are things that are lost, that don't have to be lost, but we seem to be letting them slip away. So maybe what I'm saying is... Turn the phone off. Forget about Twitter for two hours. Take a few minutes to be a human being every once in a while. Have a conversation. Watch a movie. Maybe go sit on your back deck, sit on your driveway, sit on the sidewalk in front of your house. Just sit there for an hour and don't do anything except watch the world go by. I know from experience it can be very relaxing and it can be very refreshing. And it might be something you want to give a try. Just a thought. I figure I should repeat it one more time. This isn't an anti-technology, anti-internet rant, and I hope you didn't take it that way. I love technology. I love the internet. But I also come from a time when we remembered things like conversations and long movies and slow plots and not telling mom and dad everything about everything. 
and not leaving it out there for somebody else to tell mom and dad about. There was an old saying when I was a kid that I still live by. We don't air our dirty laundry. That means you don't hang all of the stuff out there for everybody to see. You are allowed to have privacy, and you are allowed to live your life the way you want to live your life. You don't have to share everything. Of course, that's just my opinion, and we all know opinions vary. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of things. As always, I do appreciate your support, and I can't thank you enough for being here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.